0: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for following Jesus. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tony, and I'm your host. With over a decade in the local church, I care deeply and passionately about helping you to connect with Jesus in real and powerful ways. Today's episode is perfect for someone who's interested in disciple-making. It's all about Jesus-style disciple-making and the best way to make disciples. I sit down with my longtime friend And a gentleman who's poured into me for years and years, Justin Gravett. I share actually one of our oldest episodes from the Practitioner's Podcast, which I love to do here on occasion when it feels right. And I want to jump into the conversation of Jesus-style disciple-making with all of you. So here's a great episode from the Practitioner's Podcast, season one, called The Best Way to Make Disciples.
1: Jesus-style disciple-making, I mean... It, it is what it sounds like. It is doing it the way that Jesus did, as close as we can, right? I don't know of anyone who has has sold everything they had and is just traveling around with 12 males or 12 females investing in them 24 seven, right? So we're all contextualizing to some degree, but there are some principles underneath um, the method that Jesus employed in disciple making that, that we're trying to emulate. And honestly, what we believe is that Jesus' way is the best way. Which sounds like, all right, well, that that's kind of obvious, right? I mean, it like every,
0: every church should say that, right? Like, right. it's not something that we want to turn away from, but rather lean into. Yes,
1: exactly. But the thing is, when we look at the way that disciple-making is unfolded, and most churches or parachurch organizations even, it is not that sort of style of disciple-making. So what normally happens is uh, there's a separation that occurs between Jesus' teachings and his methods. And so when we separate his teachings from his methods, we're not going to get the results that he got because it's not the way that he did it. And that's not original to me, that thought, but that's, that's with a friend of mine, Jim Putman, said that first. Um, but it's so true, right, that when we're separating those things out, then we don't get the results that Jesus got. And then we, we scratch our heads and say, well, what's wrong?
0: How would you describe the difference? I, I have some of my own thoughts, but I'd be really interested to hear if, if someone really has read the Gospels but doesn't know the difference between the teachings and the methods, how do you paint that picture?
1: Right. So one of the things that, that I think about first in that question is Jesus's method was his men, hmm. and it was relational. Now, it wasn't only relational, right? He was delivering content and helping them understand things and helping them grow. But the primary way that he influenced was through relationship. And oftentimes, today, we want to lead with primarily content or curriculum because it's easier because we're in an industrialized culture that, that values consumerism. And so we want to scale quickly. And I hear that um, in the in the church world and the disciple-making world a lot of, well, how do we scale this? How do we scale this? Well, that's a question that comes out of our consumeristic mindset. I don't see Jesus asking that question. You know, Jesus took three years and invested in those 12 men, and that was his primary focus in ministry. And so what, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I, I, what's interesting is is that when I have started reading the Gospels for the sake of looking at Jesus' methods— versus just his teaching. And his teaching is super important. So here, so we're not we're not discounting any right. of Jesus' teaching. Can't get rid of that. No, you can't. But in six years of preaching, uh, roughly 300 and some odd messages, I don't think I've ever pulled the guys I've been discipling into a room afterwards and described my teachings and how it impacts the kingdom of God like mm-hmm. Jesus did. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you just think about the amount of time that we see Jesus intentionally pouring in to the men in his life that that has to be noticed yeah and and even though it's it's uh, i'm going to use air quotes and say unstated right it didn't say it doesn't say anywhere in the gospel of luke and Jesus spent 12 hours with his disciples no it says that he walked with them he did life with them and it's right. kind of an an undercurrent of reality when i when i read that it was super eye opening to me as a as a church leader and as a disciple maker, because, well, if I'm just honest, it's, it's not something I do all the time. I'm probably discipling four guys right now. Mm -hmm. And at most I'm giving them an hour and a half every other week. Sometimes, you know, with the occasional text message or phone, I mean, right. Sure. How do you overcome, uh, how, how do we keep that in the right perspective?
1: Yeah. I think what we miss a lot when we, when we go through the gospels, there is so much, and Luke tells us this, right? There's if we was going to write down everything that Jesus taught and did, it would fill all the books in all the world. Mm. Um, so we can't do that, but we need to take some time to appreciate how much time he spent with these men. Right? I think about the times when, you know, at night they probably gathered around a, a campfire, and you know, cooked their meal, and then talked about the events of the day. And I you know, I I love thinking about some of the experiences that that the gospel show us. You know, of one that, that I like to think about is when, when Jesus asked that guy in the in the synagogue to hold up his hand, right? Because his hand was, was shriveled and deformed in some way. And so Jesus asked him to hold it up and then healed it in front of these Pharisees, and it was this conflict filled uh, environment. And you we don't get to see the look on the Pharisees' faces, but we can imagine it, right? I mean, this was this was an intense experience that yeah. was happening, and Jesus was challenging them, and, and I can just picture them sitting around the fire that night and, you know, somebody like John saying, man, Jesus, that was so cool. Right. And Peter's like, did you see the looks <laughs> on those guys' faces? That was awesome. And we miss that, that... The, The intimacy that those guys would have had with Jesus set up everything that he did with them. And when we're just focused on teaching, content, and curriculum, we're missing the most powerful elements of his method. And so I think as much as anything, that's when we talk about Jesus-style disciple-making, I think what we're saying is that we are trying to hold together as much as we possibly can, keeping relationship primary, without neglecting teaching and input.
0: And so I was meeting with a group recently and we were talking about Jesus-style disciple making and one of the places that we started with was defining the word disciple. Yep, Because every church does it differently and every church has got you know their three words that they're trying to put together to help cast vision and I do it, so there's no kind of, like we say engage Christ, restore hope, love all, right? And that's a big part of our vision here at Restoration. But at the same time, it's not defining the word disciple. And so when I gathered this group together, of course, we all did what we do these days and we Googled it. And one of the things that first things that came up was was the word learner. That was the easiest hmm. one. But yeah. the truth is, is that the word disciple is used 269 times in the Gospels and Acts. Wow. So a- as you define disciple, Kind of what bent are we are are we looking at this from at, You know, in the course of this podcast and as we look at Jesus-style disciple-making? Sure,
1: yeah. And it's there a lot, right? 269 times. A ton. And most Christians haven't taken the time to really think through, mm-hmm. right? Well, what does that mean? Uh, what is that word trying to communicate? Um, something I've learned just as I've um, tried to figure it out for myself is that Historically, uh, the word, we, we have it written down for the first time in a Greek historian's writing named Herodotus, it was about 500 years before Christ. Mm. Um, historians believe that it was, it was used commonly in the oral tradition before that. So this is an old concept, an old word. Um, and most Christians who have studied it, like you said, they, they know learner, right? And they might know the Greek word that it comes from is methetes. But to me, that doesn't tell us enough, because there's different types of learners in the world and different types of contexts, right? So there's there's teacher-student, where the learning is mostly aimed at the head. All right, what do we need to know? How do we know it? Can we spit it back out? Um, You know, another type of learning is master-apprentice, and we don't have that as much in today's world, but it's still around.
0: Well, then that was super common in the Jewish culture. Right, right, and there's always like uh, that old Jewish saying: "Walk close enough to your rabbi so that the dust from his handle kicks up on your cloak." Or, you know, uh, one of the things I've heard you say before is, "You know, how does the person you're discipling smell?" Like, not not in the not in the literal sense, right? But uh, but more in the like holistic, emotional, spiritual. Can you smell the temperature of someone's life? Essentially,
1: yeah, exactly, and so. With this rabbi-disciple relationship, it wasn't just teacher-student, it wasn't just master-apprentice, which would be more focused on a trade or a skill, right? This was a holistic, and I like how you use that word. It was it was a holistic relationship, where the goal was that the the disciple would become just like the rabbi. And to me, when we're talking about Jesus-style disciple making, we see one of the the passages in, in Paul's writings, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. Mm-hmm. And Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm following the master. I'm following the rabbi. If you just follow me, then we're all going the same direction and we're all trying to become just like Jesus. And so really I think Jesus-style disciple-making, going back to that phrase, is about how do we become like Jesus in a holistic sort of way not just what we know in our head, not just practicing, um, you know, loving others well in life, but it's really it's both of those, but it's also more than that. I'm curious, Tony, um, have you have you experienced that in your life or practiced that? What's that looked like for you, as you've um, you know, kind of connected with disciple making?
0: Well, one of the one of the guys that discipled me, his name was Charles Causey, and we were. Um, in Minnesota together for a year, and he was really the first guy to ever walk me through Scripture intentionally, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we talked a little bit about in, in the last episode intentionally versus relationally. Right. He he was really good at, at both, it seemed like. Um, I, I'm sure he struggled with one or the other, and, you know, just because right. we all do. Yep. But he was walking me through Scripture, and we got to study the Scripture together every day. <clears throat> and one of the things that... Um, he ended up doing as we built up relational equity was checking on the things of my heart. Hmm. Right. And so I was stationed in Minnesota at the time, and my wife was here in Ohio. And as you can imagine, I was in my early 20s. It was really easy for me um, to become lustful yeah. towards everything else in the world. Okay. And so uh, I even, and am not even ashamed to admit this, but I, I struggle with pornography. Right? And as I was struggling with pornography, he could just tell that something was heavy on my heart. Mm. And so one day, he just called me out on it. Like, wow. like point blank, we were in a car at an Applebee's parking lot getting ready to go to lunch. And he goes, Tony, how are you doing with pornography? And I was like, <laughs> uh, 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 wow. right? Really? Yeah, I mean, but, but again, we talk about holistic, right? He's not going to leave that relational equity on the table mm. because he knows it becomes a barrier to my relationship with Christ.
1: Oh, I like the way you put that. So leaving relational equity on the table. Can you tell me more about
0: that? Well, so I think the, the difference between a program and a relational holistic approach like Jesus did is the ability to maximize the, the gift that God gives us in each other. Right. And so when we talk about leaving money on the table or or kind of leaving relational equity on the table, I think about it like I think uh, about poker. Right. Is is you've got to go all in and Mm -hmm. holistic Jesus style disciple making is all in. It's it's taking that vulnerable moment, just like Charles did for me in that parking lot Mm -hmm. where, by the way, we ended up never going in because I sat there and and cried. Yeah. And he prayed over me. Hmm. Right, and mm-hmm. and he he walked me through it. He he took my computer to a place to to walk me through it. You know, like it mm-hmm. was, um, we we went after it. Yeah, we went after the sin in my life, and I'm I'm so thankful because now, what could have been much much worse, doesn't have a grip, and and that was life changing for both of us. Like right. it wasn't just life changing for me because now my my issue with porn is is non-existent, or is just something that I have to guard my heart against, yep. right? But it was also life changing for him because it changed our relationship forever. So one of the things that stands out to me about
1: that story is that that you guys—it sounds like you had a relationship that was close enough where he could sense that something wasn't right with you, mm-hmm. and not only could he sense it and notice it, but but he had the the courage, the relational EQ, uh, emotional quotient to know how to bring it up to you in a way that wouldn't drive you away, and that that led you into really a transformational conversation. Yeah. How did how did you guys get there? Because I, I know you said that you guys were reading scripture uh, regularly. I mean, what did that piece look like?
0: Well, so for us practically, it was we started every day together going over the scripture that we were supposed to have read the night before. Okay. And so um a, about 2 months into the deployment um and w- he gave me a bible for christmas and and he invited me to read the bible in a year with him, which is at that point in hmm. time something I had never done. Okay. And so he invited me in and and one of the terms that we'd like to use here is invite and then challenge, mm-hmm. right? Our our ability to challenge someone is dependent upon the invitation into our lives, right? In that relational equity. And so he invited me in to read the scripture. He spent time with me daily. And then uh, he was close enough to me to kind of, uh, to use that term earlier, right? Smell when something wasn't right. Right,
1: yeah. I'm curious, have you ever had someone try to ask you questions like that about, you know, lust or your purity? any of that, where you didn't have the relational equity. Have you ever experienced that? I
0: have. I want to share about that, but I wonder if you have. I have, and I just straight up lie about it at that (laughs) point. (laughs) I'm like, bro, you don't know me. (laughs) I I mean, give me your experience with it. Yeah,
1: so when we were um, in Southeast Asia as missionaries, uh, the organization sent sent over a couple people to kind of check in on us and care for us, and we appreciated that, although we didn't really understand that that was their role. Um, it was kind of presented as like, hey, we're going to be in the area. We'd love to spend some time with you. And I'm like, okay. And um, I still remember my wife was in the kitchen making lunch, and this this couple really appreciate their hearts. You know, um, I like them personally. Sure. But uh, the man said to me, hey, can, can I talk to you for a second? I was like, okay. And so we walked out on the, the front porch, and he said, Hey, I just want to ask, how's your purity life? How you know? How's how's everything going with the internet? And I literally met him like six hours before,
0: <laughs>
1: and, and I answered honestly, but at the same time, I told Kristen later about that, and I said, I said, I don't know who would just yeah. let that out to somebody that they they just met six six hours earlier. Because um, most people, I think, if they were struggling, they would just lie in that situation. Sure. And so, I think that's another when we talk about Jesus style disciple making and the the importance of relationship and its authenticity, uh, the ability to communicate honestly with one another. Uh, I don't know how we can do it any other way and expect to get the results that Jesus got.
0: Yeah, I, I love um, I love that image in scripture where Jesus says, come, let me show you where I'm sleeping, Mm -hmm. you know, and that invitation to not just, Hey, I, you don't have to just follow. Don't just follow me, like do life with me. Yeah. And I think if more of us, myself included, can be intentional about doing life and discipling in a Jesus style way, we would get results that would grow the church better than any program yeah. Any curriculum, any uh, flash in the pan, or even even any better than just a great sermon. And I love great sermons, but like it's it's proven to be so much better.